Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast, where we believe that lifelong learning and relentless determination are essential to developing your passions and reaching your goals. Here to help you along the way are the hosts of the show. Take it away, ladies. Hey, y'all. I'm Brooke. And I'm Farron. As educators and high achievers, we're passionate about providing our listeners with effective strategies to help navigate life's obstacles and reach your goals sooner. Join us as we break down credible research that gives you a fresh perspective and challenges your limiting beliefs. Laugh and grow as we share personal anecdotes and interviews from people that have demonstrated what it takes to be successful. By implementing these practices, you will develop your unique skill set and learn how to better serve your community. Get your mind right. And enjoy this time designed just for you. This is episode 109. Good times. Feeling fine. Oh, 109 feeling fine. I like how you're the rhymer now. It makes me happy inside. I'm pretty sure we say that for 39, 49, 59, anything that really ends in nine. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So today we do have the interview with Lindsay Paris, and it's all about screen time, particularly with kids, but it also plays into the adults as well. Yes, and she also talks, she's um, the leader of Read Played Talk in Mesquite, and she's going to talk about how important it is to read, play, and talk with your child every day. Yes, it's also important for you to read, play, and talk every day, too. And Farron, you're actually a literacy expert, which is great. Oh, well, thanks, Brooke. Yes, I have a new side gig going where I'm giving educators and parents some info on how to help best support their kids, especially if they struggle with reading. Yeah, so you can find her Instagram. It's Move Mountains Literacy. Yeah, but it's underscores. It's the dang underscores. Yeah, you know. But we'll link it so you can find it. They're but cute. They cute, right. though. They cute, though. <laughs> yes, tons of great information. Okay, well, on to the episode. All right, today we have Lindsay Paris on the show. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yes, okay, so today we're going to talk about, I again, we don't want to shame at all because that's not what we want to do ever but screen time I think everybody in the back of their head knows mm, I do it too much but I can justify it if I say this 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 so today we're going to talk all about screen time but first why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are some fun facts maybe and then what do you actually do for a living Okay, who am I? Um, I'm Lindsay Paris. I'm married to Joe Paris, who has been on your show a couple of times. Um, Dr. Joe Paris. I always have to throw that in. He doesn't get enough credit for that degree, so I'm like, I will always try to throw it in when I can. Um, We have two daughters, Lola and Harper. Lola is eight. Harper is six. I work for Mesquite ISD. I'm the community liaison for the district, so in that role, I oversee an early literacy initiative called Read, Play, Talk, and I also oversee our community education department. A fun fact about me is that I can solve the Rubik's Cube, and the reason I can solve the Rubik's Cube is because Brooke, one time on a mission trip, taught me how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Yes, right on. Fun times. Look at you. You hold on to that skill. Sometimes like, oh, I need to go solve this real quick so I don't forget how to do it. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so for people who don't know what Read, Play, Talk is, because that's not in every district, or I think y'all are like the innovators of it. So what is Read, Play, Talk? So Read, Play, Talk was an idea of our superintendent, Dr. David Vrunland, and it's really an initiative, an early literacy initiative targeted for kids 
pre-K and under. Um, a lot of our district is made up of low-income families, and there's a lot of research that will show that kids who are raised in low-income households, they will enter kindergarten up to two years behind where they should be academically. Um, and our superintendent, you know, did a lot of research on this and found that they were entering behind because they heard fewer vocabulary, they had fewer life experience, um, and just found that if parents would read, play, and talk with their kids every day, um, that they would come to kindergarten ready to read and ready for school. And so that's what we do at Read, Play, Talk. We encourage parents and caregivers to read, play, and talk with their kids every day. We do that in a variety of ways. A lot of what we do is through community partnerships with businesses in the Mesquite and surrounding areas. We also have a magazine that comes out quarterly. We have a podcast called the Read, Play, Talk podcast. Um, we do events throughout the year. We're finally getting back to in-person events this summer, which we're really excited about. But we try to be very present in the Mesquite community to encourage how important that parent-child interaction is um, for our youngest kids. Awesome. I love it. So we're going to link all that stuff. We know that you, Lindsay, just gave us a ton of places to go find you. So we'll link all of it in our show notes to make sure you guys head there. And then, okay, so after hearing about Replay Talk and how it's important for kids, I can only assume it is also important for big kids or kids still in little in big bodies like high schoolers. And it's still the same for adults and being a lifelong learner. So why don't you speak into that for a second? Yeah, you know, Replay Talk, it really is. The initiative itself is geared for kids under second grade. But I think kids in general, and Brooke, you know this just from being a mom, kids long for someone to have a relationship with, long for someone to talk to them, ask them about their day, interact with them. And more than anyone, regardless of what your kid tells you, they want their parent or their caregiver, whoever the primary caregiver is, that's who they want to interact with them. And so, yeah, so read, play, talk can be implemented, you know, at a variety of stages in life. We target mainly in what I do with the younger kids, but we also speak into like upper elementary, middle school, and high school, just the importance of interacting as a family every single day. If Even if you can't sit down for a meal, which I know is unrealistic for a lot of families because of sports events or whatever activities, but that you're making some intentional time every day to interact with each other, talk through your day with one another. I've encouraged families um, to practice read aloud sessions in their homes all the time. There's tons of research out there that will show that hearing a book read to you is so beneficial for your brain development, even up to like high school age kids. And if you're not doing it right now, it's going to feel awkward and weird at first, but I can promise you it will bring your family together in such a unique and special way that you'll wish you had started it long before you did. So yeah, replay talk can definitely be implemented throughout various stages of life. I love that. We've also done a couple of mini series. We did the Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, and in that's episodes 28 through 38. But in there, she talks about how adults don't play anymore. And it's all just, it's all work and chores. And that can, that weight right there. Cause I know I'm guilty of putting my kids on a tablet so I can vacuum because otherwise someone needs a snack, right? Okay. Oh, so I know I'm right. guilty of those things. And we, as an Enneagram one, I get caught up in the chores 
Whereas if I would just sit down and either play with my kids or do something fun with Morgan, that counts as play too. So I think that's important. Yeah, sure. And then we also did the Grit miniseries, episodes 19 through 25, and Angela Duckworth talks about play and you can actually challenge yourself. That's why sports are so important or some sort of fun competitive environment because it's play and you're learning and you're growing. So I love how that replay talk just goes through all your life stages. Okay, so now we're gonna kind of turn to screen time here. So when did you first learn about screen time or the effects of screen time? And how did that affect not only your kids, but you as an adult too? Okay, that's a loaded question. I got, I got a lot of answers for it. So unpack, just, unpack. So I, one of my first memories where I felt like I was really exposed to screen time and kids having access to screen time was when my oldest daughter, Lola, was really young. And I remember we were walking around Target and um, I saw a mom, Lola was like a newborn or two or three months old. She was really little. And I saw a mom with a toddler um, and the toddler was just had the phone right in front of him, was watching YouTube or something and was just as quiet as could be and so peaceful. And the mom looked so happy. And I remember thinking like, this is amazing. This is going to solve all of our problems. You know, when Lola's old enough and she's strong enough to hold a phone, then I'll just give her a phone when I have to go grocery shopping or when I want to go shopping just to like entertain her so I can do what I want to do. Um, and so we did. As soon as Lola, you know, was strong enough to hold a phone, we um, let her have access to that. We downloaded, and I'll say in quotes, educational apps for her and um, felt like we were doing a really great job with parenting. I remember when she was about a year old, I have a picture of her holding the phone and I remember that day watching her swipe to, you know, manipulate the screen. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, my kid is so smart. Like she is a genius because she's figured out how to maneuver this device. And then it was probably around when she was three, three and a half, I started noticing some serious red flags. We had uh, bought her her own Kindle Fire. We kind of did like a trade-in. She gave us her passive fire. We gave her the Kindle fire, it's like pacifier fairy gift, whatever. Um, and any time that I would have to take the device away from her, she would have these huge meltdowns, like awful tantrums, kicking, screaming. And that was kind of red flag number one for me. And then I just started noticing that screens were everywhere. I mean, everywhere for kids, everywhere for adults. Um, I know some people may not be going to restaurants now, but even before the pandemic, if you go to a restaurant and you're in the waiting area, or even if you look at a family sitting at a table together, very rarely are they looking at each other. Almost always everyone has their own device. And so I just kind of became really sensitive and really aware of how addicting these screens were. Um, and you kind of alluded to it in your intro. We're like, I knew that screen time probably wasn't a great thing but I didn't really know why. And I didn't really have reasoning behind my thoughts. So even though those red flags were happening and I was noticing addiction and screens kind of all around society, we let our kids, you know, still use screens. Um, we limited them to about two hours a day. Um, and that was kind of our pattern for about two and a half, three years. And then last August, August of 2020, I randomly and ironically enough came across this guy named Colin Karchner on Instagram. 
and he speaks out um, on screen addiction and just educates parents on the dangers of screen, not only in little kids, but in teens with social media. He recommended a book called Glow Kids, which is all about screen addiction. It's written by an addiction specialist, Dr. Nicholas Cardaris. And I read the first 22 pages. It's like a 300 page book. I read the first 22 pages. I immediately called my husband and I said, we are done. We are done with the screens because in those 22 pages, it was enough to convince me that the screens that my girls were on were doing way more damage than I even realized they were doing. So what kind of damage are we talking? So I know with those educational apps, I mean, I know for like my kid came out one year, I guess it was last summer pandemic style, yay, where you're still like trying to teach at your house while your kids are also at your house. That was fun. So Sloan or Scout was like, hey, look, that's an inclined plane. A what? An inclined plane? Who taught you that? And she was like, this! And held up the tablet. I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. Yay? Maybe? So what kind of damage is being done? Because right then that seems like, oh, cool. They're learning. It's working. And I can do my job. But what's actually happening behind the scenes? Yeah, so let's talk about the effects maybe of too much screen time. So first of all, they're just designed to be addictive in nature. Like the, the app developers who are developing these educational apps, um, who are developing our social media platforms, they didn't develop them and then, you know, just like cross their fingers and hope that people would like them. You know, they, they knew exactly how to get to like core portions of our brain that would make us constantly want to come back. So that's why your kids are addicted to, you know, their sorting games because they we've gamified everything to where they get rewards and incentives and it makes them want to come back. It's why you are addicted to social media because our feed never stops. You know, we're, we're always looking for the next big thing that's happening. So that's the first thing. They're just designed to be addictive. They're taking advantage of the way that our brains are developed um, and really reaching those core points of our brain. There are some physical effects in kids of too much screen time. The first is what I touched on a little earlier, just behavioral problems. If you've ever taken an iPad or a phone away from a two-year-old, I know that you can attest to this because they're addicted. They don't want to give them up. Uh, we're seeing an increase in childhood obesity just because kids are not going outside as much. They're not moving as much because they feel like they're getting everything they need from the apps on their screens. We're seeing um, more sleep problems in kids. And this is something that I honestly did not realize how much it was affecting my kids until we took the device away. You know, I thought, well, these are just normal sleep patterns for a five-year-old or a four-year-old. Um, but when I took them away, I noticed how much better my kids slept and how much quicker they fell asleep. Um, we're also seeing an increase of violence in kids. And this is more, some apps will do this, but this is more like video games. The more violence that kids are exposed to really and in anything in life, like the more we're exposed to something, the more desensitized we become to it. And so we're like constantly craving more of that. Um, this, this doesn't include like brother, sister fighting, but I believe that's why we're seeing more like biting in schools, more physical violence in younger kids because it's what they're being exposed to on screens. There's a couple of more affects developmental delays. I've talked to pre-K teachers who have said when they have a four-year-old come to their class, like they do not even have enough strength in their hand to hold a pencil because they haven't 
um, been doing those skills that normal kids would be doing to develop the strength in their hands. We're seeing vision problems. I just heard on a podcast a couple of weeks ago where they're predicting that half of the population by the year 2050 will be nearsighted and they're contributing that to too much screen time and not enough time outdoors. Those two factors combined will make half the population nearsighted. And then again, I've already mentioned it, but just the addiction and the effects. I mean, you think of um, kind of the effects that like a drug addict would go through. It's, I mean, it's scary, but it's a similar thing that we're seeing in our kids, even though it might not be deteriorating their physical body, it's deteriorating their mind, which is a really scary thing to think you're putting this kind of device that does the damage of everything that I just mentioned into a one-year-old's hand. That's crazy. So I love how you hit them with the science and the facts. We love that. So how did this affect your family? You call Joe, you say, we're done with devices. It's August of 2020. How'd it go? Smooth sandpaper or? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It, um, it was quite a shift for our family. Before, before I read Glow Kids, our daughters were on screens maybe two to three hours a day. But um, after I, I read those first 22 pages and I'm like, we're done, I put the devices away and we honestly, we have not looked back. Since August of 2020, my kids have not been on a device for recreational purposes. I will say, you know, like when we were doing virtual learning, they had to be on the computer. I know they're on the computer some at school, but as far as just like this babysitter mentality that I was using the iPad for, no more of that. Has it been easy? Absolutely not, especially not at the very beginning because you think that was two to three hours of my day that I normally had them occupied that they weren't occupied anymore. And so I had to prepare myself um, to fill those hours in their day with some kind of activity. So I went on Amazon, I ordered lots of outdoor things. I ordered puzzles, games. I brought out toys from the attic that, you know, we just kind of rotated out because I knew that they would need something to fill their time. Now I did that where I was like all hands on deck for two to three weeks, just because they, they didn't know how to solve their own boredom you know, they're like, mom, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so I had to kind of help them with that. But now since the iPads are not a part of their daily routine, they can solve their boredom themselves. If they don't know what to do, they just figure something out. Um, I will say even up until like yesterday or the day before my kids still ask me for their iPads. They will still say, mom, when are those coming back? Or when, how much longer until we get our iPads back? Never. Yeah. And because I'm still the parent, I still tell them no. They ask me for them and I still tell them no because I'm the parent and I'm the one in charge right now. Yeah. Your job is to be a good steward of the gifts you've been given. You have been given the gifts of your children. So we got to be good stewards. There there are so many parents I talk to about like getting kids. It's May at the time of this recording, getting kids to turn in any work so that way they can pass. And I've had so many emails come back saying, they just don't listen to me anymore. Or they said they're, they don't care and I can't make them do it. So hearing that, I like how you're saying you're the parent, you're in charge. They are living yeah. under your roof. They need to follow your rules. And that's not always yeah. going to be like a, a smooth shift, but this whole mini series is about atomic habits, which is just really tiny changes. So it's not like you have to 
cold turkey it. Like what if someone's using screens more than two hours? What do you recommend? Yeah, so if, if your child is on screens, I would say more than four or five hours a day, I do not recommend taking it away all at once. One, because that is um, gonna be too much of a shift to their normal routine. And it's probably going to spark way more outrage in them um, than, than needs to come out at one time. So I would suggest doing a screen detox where you just slowly pull away time. So for instance, if they're on for five hours, the next week, let them be on for four hours a day and the next three hours and just kind of gradually bring it down to where it's non-existent, which is what we did, or to a level that you're comfortable at as a parent. Um, again, this is not to shame or not to say like, you have to do it this way, this is the right way, but this is about you as a parent making changes to, to create this lifestyle that you're comfortable with. So I would say do this detox, gradually decrease it until you're at an area that you feel comfortable and safe of allowing your child to be on the screen for that long. So we did a mini series. It's the Everything is Figure Outable mini series. It's episodes 40 through 51. And there's a section in there where Marie is talking about how like, oh, you don't have enough time. She's like, okay, great. Do a time audit. How every single minute, track every single minute. And you're going to quickly realize, oh, I can find 10 minutes here and 10 minutes here. I'm on social media. And then over the course of time, you have built a time slot at the end of the day where you could work on the passion project or whatever it is you feel like you need to pursue, but you can't leave your current nine to five yet. That's a solution. So I like the time audit. I like the slow reduction of the bad habit and the slow increase of the good habit, which you've mentioned puzzles or outdoor games or things like that. So as far as adults go, because I've heard people say it, just say it just casually, like, oh, no, I'm addicted to Facebook, or, oh, I can't get enough of these, like, silly articles. So what would you say to those people who probably know they need to reduce the quality, the time they're spending on social or screens or whatever? What would you say to them, or what's a good starting point? I would recommend to anyone, whether you have kids or not, to read the book Glow Kids by Dr. Nicholas Cardaris. That will bring to light a lot of the damage that screens, social media, video games are doing to our brains. That um, if you're a sciencey kind of person and you need like actual facts of what it's doing, I recommend that to absolutely anybody. It will completely change your life in some capacity, even if it doesn't change it as extreme as it changed ours to some extent. Um, but also I would just do some real self-reflection on what are the priorities in my life? What goals do I have? What things do I want to achieve? And then kind of like you said, Brooke, do a time audit of like, is my time a reflection of what my goals and dreams are? And if it's not, you either have to adjust your goals or you have to adjust your time. And I think most people would adjust the way that they're spending their time, even though that's not the easier decision. But if the goal is a real passion, that's what they do. If you are adjusting screen time in your kids, you will naturally adjust screen time with yourself because no kid is going to believe you. You know, if you say these screens are not good for your brain, they're harming your brain, they're doing a lot of damage. They're not going to believe you if you're still over there on your phone 
scrolling Facebook or answering emails or working or whatever it is, it's not going to be believable. So you as a parent are going to have to make some shifts in your routine and your screen habits. Um, but I, I can guarantee you, even though it might be hard to adjust your routine, it is well worth the adjustments, um, the adjustments that you have to make. I like how you tied in your actions or habits are tying into your identity or your goal. Because if I do want to write that book and I'm sitting here on Facebook for an hour a night, if I add up all those hours, how many is that? How, how much of my book could I have written? We get, we have authors on the show often. And a lot of times they talk about like putting themselves in a room and not doing anything until they write it. So that's how the Hunchback of Notre Dame got written. He was about to miss his deadline. So he had to lock himself in his house. And he a had sense a, of urgency. Pushes he, it out. he had a close person take away all of his clothes. So that way he didn't want to go out either. <laughs> so Whatever motivates you guys, yeah. right? <laughs> Whatever so the, it takes. Those tiny habits, I like that. So even just the small changes. So do you have like timers on your phone? Like what are you and Joe doing to kind of live this out? Because we can say, yeah, reduce by 10 minutes or do a time audit. But what does that look like in your specific household who is screen free? Yeah, I will say a lot of my job, you know, like most people's jobs, are on electronics of some sort. I have to run social media pages for the departments that I oversee, um, constantly on emails and just you know communicating with people that way. But, but we absolutely try our hardest when we get home to put our phones away, to plug our computers in somewhere and not touch them until our kids go to bed. Um, you know, my husband and I, we both kind of work jobs that require a lot of after hour attention but we also know that the time that we have with our kids is very minimal compared to just the, the, their waking hours. And so we try to be sensitive to that, the three, four five hours that we're with them after school, like they get as much of us as we can possibly give them. And then after we put them to bed, then if there's you know a project that we have to finish up or I'm in school right now. So if there's a school project I have to do, um, then we do that. Because again, we want to practice what we're preaching to them um, and just be authentic in that regard too. We're not perfect at all. I, I don't want us to come across that. Anything about this is pretty or perfection because it's absolutely not. But I will say it has just brought so much awareness to our lives personally uh, to where it's really made me rethink is it necessary and is it beneficial for me to be on a screen right now? And if I answer no to either one of those questions, then I realize, okay, it can wait. It can wait until my kids are asleep or a time where I'm not pulling attention away from them. I like that. It's like a flow chart. I want to get on my screen. Is it necessary? No. Okay. Put it away. <laughs> is yeah. it beneficial? No. Okay. Put it away. Ask again later. I yeah. like the idea. I also like how you've mentioned the bad the bad habit so too much screen time and the negative effects and the inverse of it that's exactly how James Clear wrote how to get rid of bad habits and how to start good habits the inverse is the exact opposite so as far as tantrums going it reduces tantrums as far as poor sleep it gives good sleep so I like how it's the immediate cause and effect it's very clear to see and I like how it just mirrors the atomic habits book so well done with your yeah. screen time talk Lindsay 
And so Farron usually asks this question at the end, so I'm gonna to try to not mess it up. So is there anything we didn't set you up for that you wanted to say? Do you have like one last hurrah you wanna to give to the people who are listening to this episode? I will say two things. Um, one, just a reminder, and I've already said it this episode, but just put emphasis on it again. You are the parent. You are the one that gets to make the rules. Colin Karchner, who is the guy that, you know, kind of led me to Glow Kids and everything else, he tells a story about um, a middle school girl. He used to, before the pandemic, would go and speak to schools and just talk about screen addiction and screen time. And he had a girl from one of the schools send him a message on Instagram and said, thank you so much, you know, for coming to speak to our school. I've struggled so much with social media and just the effects that it's having on me. I can tell I'm getting depressed. I've had suicidal thoughts and I'm just really struggling. So thank you so much for coming. And Colin said, I normally don't do this, but I went to her Instagram page, which was public, scrolled through some of her pictures, found her mom, went to her mom's Instagram page and screenshot the message that that girl had sent to him and sent it to the mom and said, hey, I normally don't do this. I hope you don't think I'm like overstepping, but I just really felt like as her parent, you would want to know that your daughter is struggling through some of this and thinking through some of these issues. And the mom wrote back and said, yeah, we've talked a little bit about this and I know that she's struggling and I know that her having a phone is you know, creating a pathway, you know, for her to, for these feelings for her. And then she said, but I just don't want to be the mean mom and take the phone away. And he's like, mom, like, what are you doing? You know, your kid is crying out for help. Your kid is drowning. And you're just going to say, I just, I didn't want to be the mean parent. You know, everyone else, every other kid has a phone. I don't want to make my kid feel left out or that they're not the same. So even though this is doing so much damage, I'm going to leave that in their hand. I would just encourage parents to not be that parent. When your kid is drowning and you can do something to save them, save them, be the parent. And the second thing I wanted to say that kind of goes hand in hand with that is it is not too late. I was talking to the mom to a mom of an 18 year old a couple of weeks ago and her son's like addicted to video games. And she came up to me almost with tears in her eyes. Cause I had just given a very similar presentation. And she said, she just asked me, is it too late? And I said, no, absolutely not. He still lives in your house. You still have authority over him. You're his mom. It is not too late. So be the parent. You're the parent, make the tough rules, make the tough calls. And it is not too late, no matter how addicted your kid is to screens. And you think there's absolutely no way, you know, that I could remove that from, from their routine. Yes, you can. And it's not too late. And I can promise you a hundred million times, you will not regret it. You will not regret, regret taking your kid's screens away. I honestly wish I would have never given my kids screens in the first place, because I feel like I saw a different side of them a much better side of them when I took their screens away. Well, this has been quite an enlightening episode. I'm so glad you came on, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. If you can't tell, I'm very passionate about this. I will say, I tell anyone I meet or when I'm introducing myself, 
I'm like, if I have more than like five real conversations with you, I will either mention screen time, Colin Karchner or glow kids, like somewhere <laughs> in that conversation. I love it. I love it. Okay. So where can people find all the replay talk stuff again? So a lot of people are across the ocean or not in the area. They can't come to your community stuff, but they can still learn from your social media and they can still watch the lives and stuff. So where, where all can they find you again? Yeah, definitely. So on our replay talk social media pages, we will post tips on how to interact with your child. So yeah, even if you're not in the Mesquite, Texas community, it's still beneficial for you to follow. So we're on Facebook and Instagram at replay talk. And then on Twitter at replay talk TX. If you are in the Dallas area, I do teach a class through Mesquite ISD community ed called green free kids. And we talk a lot about the things that I just told you about today. So if you're interested, you can follow the Mesquite ISD Community Ed Facebook page, or you can go to communityedclasses.org to see our classes. I'll teach this again in fall 2021. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. We loved having you on the show. Thanks, Brooke. Dang, I am so disappointed I wasn't there for that interview. It was chock full of great information. Hey, just tidbit, the soccer team did advance to the championship, but we lost in the in the playoffs for but we got second place. So we still got a trophy. That's yeah, all that's kids fine. care that's about. Yeah, yeah, second place is still good. You're the second best, which is good. First loser. I used to say first loser <laughs> a lot and now I'm like, dang, that's not really productive for people. No. <laughs> yeah, you were the second. All right. We told the girls, you know, there's a lot of teams that didn't get a trophy and they made a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. Anywho. But yes, that's why Farron missed this recording because it's just like the Tara Lee Cobble episode, episode 81, I think, or 84. Could be either one of those. I think it's 81. Anyway, but you missed for playoffs and Tara Lee was like, well, you better win. And, and we then you did. did. And so yeah. same thing here. The reason she missed her team was winning and yeah. then they went to the championship. So there's that. Go soccer. Yeah. And go Lindsay. Thanks for being on the show. Yes, I loved hearing all the things she had to say. I think as educators, sometimes we take it for granted just having this knowledge of what kids need, especially to help them in school and life. Um, but I really do think it is important to help kids um, by reading to them. I don't know if you've noticed, but books tend to phrase things a lot differently than we do when we're talking, and right. not just Shakespeare. I mean, that's a whole different ball field. It's a different language. <laughs> but by reading to them, they won't automatically be good readers. But it does help that um, they'll be familiar with book language, and books use like big vocabulary words. For sure. Sometimes I'm reading a book to my kids, and I was like, I can't believe they use such a big word. Yeah. Um, but that prompts me to then talk about it. Right. So, Have you heard of the weighty word book? I don't know that I have. I love that one. So it goes to the alphabet, but each of the words, it's a big word, but the whole chapter is a story. And then somehow, like, all the words tie together to create the big word. And you're like, oh, now I can remember why this is so the definition. weighty. Like, yes, heavy? it's weighty. It's a heavy, heavy big word. No, that's great. And because students learn uh, vocabulary best in context. So I love that you said it's in a story and not mm -hmm. just isolated right. cards on uh, index cards like we used to do. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're going to link a few things. We'll link some books and some resources to point you to where you can help your kids read and then help you understand all that kind of jazz. We got you. We help hardworking Christian women get the growth they want by giving them the tools they need in order to have more joyful lives. We love providing our Christian-based personal growth podcast to our listeners at no cost. If you are enjoying the content, 
please consider supporting our mission by donating to our Patreon. We're a small team creating the show for our community by researching, recording, and producing the episodes ourselves. Any amount is greatly appreciated. Your support will help offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you can receive exclusive access. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com forward slash witty and gritty. We've included the link in the show notes.